Shalom. I want to say a few words tonight in praise of ordinary people. You know, it's fashionable to consider everyone today extraordinary. We give trophies for first place and last place. You too are exceptional, we say to youngsters who finish last. You're extraordinary too. To be ordinary or average is considered almost un-American. In the Parsha of the week, the twins, Esau and Jacob, are born. The brothers are already fighting with each other in utero. So when Rebecca inquires why such a difficult pregnancy, God told her that this prenatal struggle was connected to the fight for excellence and dominance that all of us wage. One shall be mightier than the other, God told Rebecca, and the older shall serve the younger. Eventually, both boys would become successful, but in terms of family dominance, the younger one would prevail, God said. The older would be an ordinary member of the family. Many families, perhaps most, are like that. Families usually gravitate to their own internal hierarchy. One of the siblings eventually takes the lead when it comes to family issues, often the eldest. And the rest of us are just ordinary. Even at the moment of birth, there was no let up. Esau managed to emerge first. After all, he was the stronger child. But his brother Jacob, not one to accept second place, was hanging on to his brother's heel. So this, they named this heel-grabbing boy Yaakov, which means the heel-grabber. It implies a certain shadiness in his character, a crookedness that will be exhibited over and over again in his rise to dominance and a quality that he never really fully masters. Such crooked timber can never be made completely straight. Since Rebecca knows the prophecy, it is no wonder that when the twins are born, she gravitates towards the younger child and favors him. He presumably resembled her physically and temperamentally. Isaac, the father, prefers Esau, the strong, hairy one, because this boyish boy who grows up to be a manly man conforms to Isaac's dreams for his sons. He wanted to play football with his sons. He wanted to throw the baseball around. He wanted to go hunting with his boys. He could do that with Esau. But Jacob liked to follow his mother around and sit with her in the tent with the other women. You know, many parents dream about their children in similar ways. We lay them on our chest 
as newborns, absorbed in and synchronized with their gentle breathing, while we speculate about all the potential they possess. You're going to be extraordinary, we whisper. There's not a parent in the world, I don't think, who looks at their newborns and toddlers and wish for their offspring to be average. You'll just be an ordinary child. I don't think so. We don't like the word ordinary. It's too ordinary. Anything good, anything worthy of aspiration has to be extraordinary. Extraordinary intelligence, extraordinary beauty, extraordinary skill, extraordinary charisma. This is what we want for ourselves. And when we grow up and realize that we are not that, we transpose these yearnings onto our children. Americans gravitate to people who are recognized by society or by themselves for their extraordinary accomplishments. I'm great. I've built a great company. I'm a great negotiator. I'm brilliant. My genius trumps your ordinariness. Everyone else is a loser. I'm smart and everyone else is stupid. When the elderly Isaac, now blind, blesses his adult son, Jacob, being tricked into believing that he is Esau, Isaac bestows upon Jacob, the crooked heel grabber, the following blessings. Let all peoples serve you. Let nations bow down to you. Be master over your brothers. In other words, the best blessing that Father Isaac can bestow upon the son that he favors and thinks he is blessing is be the best. Be the strongest. Be the master. Excel. Be dominant. Be the greatest. When I was reviewing this passage one year with a bat mitzvah student, and we came upon the verse where Rebecca concocts the deception. Remember, she asks Jacob to find goat hairs, and she puts goat hairs on his arms to confuse the father Isaac. She instructs Jacob to prepare a meal of game for his father. It's what Esau would have served him when he returned from the hunt. Rebecca said to Jacob, go to the flock and fetch me two choice kids and I will make of them a dish that your father likes. Now, you know, when the bat mitzvah kid heard that, go and fetch me two choice kids to boil, the student was devastated, <laughs> practically on the verge of tears. What's wrong, I asked. It's not fair, she said, that young children should be cooked. So if our children are not exceptional, if they're just average, ordinary, are they cooked? Are we doomed to earthly purgatory at the bottom of the American heat, never to find a moment of joy, happiness, success, or satisfaction? K. 
Can we be honest? Most of us will never be the best in most things. Or even in anything. Most of us are not geniuses. And even those who were certifiable geniuses often lived miserable lives. Their talents unrecognized. Vincent van Gogh, who died a pauper's death, could have lived several lifetimes of luxury from the proceeds of one of his paintings sold today at auction. Not everyone will be first in the class. Not everyone will be the best. In fact, by definition, only one of us will be first. Most of us are going to fall in most things, perhaps in all things, no higher than the middle of the bell curve. And even if you are truly exceptional, genius is a tricky thing. You might be a genius in one thing. You might be exceptionally gifted in one area, but it doesn't necessarily translate into other areas of life. Sigmund Freud once wrote about his conversation with fellow genius Albert Einstein. He understands as much about psychology as I do about physics, so we had a very pleasant conversation. <laughs> and speaking of Einstein, even Einstein wasn't Einstein in most things. Einstein was a brilliant physicist, but those talents didn't translate to music. You might know that after Einstein arrived in Princeton, he joined a chamber group that played together regularly. He loved music, and the group even hired a conductor. One day, while the group was practicing, the conductor became increasingly frustrated with Einstein, who was not in tempo. Finally, not able to take it anymore, the conductor stopped the music and turned to Einstein, admonishing him, Einstein, can't you count? Far better than false greatness and self-delusion are the words of Ecclesiastes. Whatever is in your power to do, do it with all your might. I don't want to be Van Gogh. I just want to be me. And I want to be me with all my might. Has the feeling ever come over you at those rare moments in life when everything clicks and you just know that this is the real you, that this is what you were meant to do? George Eliot concluded her masterpiece, Middlemarch, with these words. The growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. There's something dazzling about genius. Jacob, Moses, Isaiah, Leonardo, Mozart, Bobby Fischer. Just to sit back and admire their natural gifts is to catch a glimpse of the unlimited potential of human beings. True geniuses introduce ideas that last and that account 
for dramatic social progress. But there is also something otherworldly about them. They are distant and opaque. They are often maladjusted. Many seem unable to integrate, and their lives are chronically imbalanced. There's often a fundamental malfunction in them that destroys the rest of them. The malfunction causes a loss of equilibrium that is essential for happiness and productivity. As Jacob, the unparalleled genius of antiquity and extraordinarily successful forefather, said about himself at the end of his life, few and hard have been the years of my life. I will not live to the age of my fathers. Slow, steady, flexible, skilled, resourceful determination. This is usually the best path to success and happiness. It may appear ordinary and average, but it is the nature of the world. So maybe Rebecca and Isaac were wrong. Maybe we're wrong, too. When we look at our newborns, with their entire lives and all of their potential ahead of them, rather than wish for them extraordinary qualities, maybe we should just hope for ordinary blessings. Philip Larkin wrote a magnificent poem for Sally Amos, the daughter of his good friend Kingsley Amos, upon Sally's birth. Tightly folded bud. I have wished you something none of the others would. Not the usual stuff about being beautiful or running off a spring of innocence and love. That will all wish you that. And should it prove possible, well, you're a lucky girl. But if it shouldn't, then may you be ordinary. Have, like other women, an average of talents. Not ugly, not good looking, to pull you off your balance. That unworkable itself stops all the rest from working. In fact, may you be dull. If that is what a skilled, vigilant, flexible, unemphasized, enthralled catching of happiness is caught.